In this episode, join us as we take flight with the crow and discuss the tragic final role of actor Brandon Lee. Stay with us. Get ready for the 3324 Podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more. Welcome, friends, to the 3324 Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dean Legiero behind the microphone. Eric Cooper, are you there? I'm here. How there are you? He I knew he was here. Yes, indeed. And making his hat trick appearance, if you're into the whole hockey thing, there's there's the hockey term for you, is Andrew Cremines making his gonna, third appearance. I'm going to have to start paying rent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to start giving you like like clerical duties. Nice. Uh, <laughs> welcome, How Andy. You doing? How are you doing, Andy? I am fabu. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, you had you a- had a you had a big weekend this weekend. Um, I did. My my lovely lovely wife and I uh, celebrated our twenty eighth anniversary. Wow! And, Congrats. And we, uh, went and saw uh, Big Bad Buddha Daddy for probably the sixteenth time, and uh, got to hang out with them for a little while because um, we were kind of friendly with a couple of the guys from the band, and um, it was great. They were they're always good, never fail. And Eric, you and I have seen them together a couple times. They're just they're they're just. Yeah, I you, love them because they, they they've got all the power of like a rock and roll like metal band, but it's a big band and it like shakes the floor because you know it's <laughs> it, it's yeah, so cool, man. They're fantastic. And, and if you haven't listened to any of our our previous episodes, Andy uh, is a uh, is an artist, a graphic artist as well, par excellence, and he has done some work for Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. He has indeed, right? and done yeah, some posters. You, you, I got to meet him. You you took me to to one show, and um, yeah, that was they're, they're They seem like a really great bunch of guys, and they're absolutely genuine in what they do. They're not just a sort of uh, kitschy kind of thing. They're they're dedicated to the music they play, and they're really into it. And um, yeah, fantastic cool. band. Yeah, I was talking to <laughs> no. uh, Dirk, the bass player, the most, and I was no. talking to him like, "How is it?" feel to be one degree away from the entire Marvel universe and the entire Star Wars universe because <laughs> they were in Swingers with John Favreau. Yeah. So yeah. The whole last scene of uh, which was autobiographical, they apparently Favreau was always hanging out at the Derby where they would play. And he's like, hey, I'm making this movie. Come, you know, hang out, whatever. So they got to know John Favreau and now Favreau is doing, you know, Marvel yeah. and DC, or Marvel and uh, Star Wars. So it's crazy. Yeah. man. Everything yeah. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> he, he truly is the master of the universe sure so, uh, surely so yeah and andy's making his third appearance and uh if you want to check out what what he does uh as a full-time living we're, we're part-time podcasters he's a full-time artist you can find him on instagram at andrew cremines art on instagram so give him a follow give him a like he's always got a lot of interesting stuff he just released some of the art for the latest spooky empire we touched on that during our top three episode as well so mm-hmm. he's a very prolific artist a lot of great work so kudos uh, Andy, go check him out. Andrew Cruz on man. Instagram. So we are talking about this is the final final episode of our 2021 uh, Spooktober Halloween themed lineup of episodes. And we are talking about uh, the film The Crow. Mm. Um, and yeah, this one uh, came out in 1994. Let, let me roll the stats and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about it. There's a lot, a lot of tragedy <laughs> 
beyond Brandon Lee. But, you know, so this this film is just kind of saturated in it, unfortunately. Um, but what came out of it is also something special. So um, this was uh, released in 1994, uh, directed by Alex Proyas, based on the graphic novel by James O'Barr. Uh, the budget for this film, a paltry <laughs> 23 million at the time. Mm. Uh, box office return on it was 94 million. That's worldwide. So it did very well for it. Uh, well, let's re- let me roll out the cast or, or a good portion of the cast. We won't do them all, but we've got Brandon Lee, Ernie Hudson, uh, Michael Wincott, David Patrick Kelly, mm-hmm. Mai Ling, uh, Michael Massey, and Rochelle Davis. And I think those are the, really the, uh, the the main players. Uh, in this film. And, and like I'd, we had said, or I'd said in the opening, uh, this would be the final film for actor Brandon Lee. Uh, if you don't know, he is the son of martial arts movie star and martial artist Bruce Lee. Uh, he was Bruce Lee's only son, and, and Bruce Lee also had a daughter, Shannon. Brandon Lee was was killed on set. It was only about eight days worth of filming to go, and he only had maybe three to do. Uh, and an unfortunate, really, set of horrible and neglectful circumstances led to his untimely passing. He was shot with a was supposed to be shot with a prop gun, and they they had put a taken a bullet out of the gun, and and kind of they didn't have the I guess the right props with them, so the prop department kind of finagled something, and and a bullet ended up a, a bullet tip ended up getting lodged in the in the gun, and then they reloaded the gun with a blank for the next shot, and that blank had powder in it, and it propelled the bullet that was stuck inside the gun. Absolutely mm-hmm. tragic, should never have happened, but um, again, so that kind of cast really a shadow over this film of, of tragedy, and it mirrored, you know, Bruce Lee death. died, on, yeah. yeah, he, he passed yep. away just on the cusp of superstardom, although he made a lot of films, Enter the Dragon was, was going to be his big one, was working on footage, which would, beca- which would become Game of Death, which they would use body doubles and stand-ins for yeah, to complete very... that film. Although that although Game of Death was like test footage and was just kind of fooling around with ideas, they actually ended up cobbling it together into a film. This kind of same thing happened after, after Brandon Lee passed. It's like, well, the movie is pretty much done. Yeah, luckily they got most of it done, though. I mean, they yeah. just, you know, just a few yeah. shots that they had to uh, CG his, his, his likeness onto a, a stunt double. And, you know, it, it just a couple of scenes. And, you know, f- but uh, boy, you know, it would have been how it would have been a completely different film had he not filmed, you know, at, more than half, you know, of the scenes, if they didn't show up in the film of somebody else doing it, you would have definitely noticed. Yeah, and, like, like we'll in Game of that. Death, where you could tell, like they put yeah. a, they put a guy in the in the costume Bruce Lee was wearing, but they'd put a motorcycle helmet on him. Um, at, at the time when they <laughs> yeah. did the when they did the when they did the face replacement for Brandon Lee in, in a couple of scenes, I mean, this was before deep fake, so it was kind of cutting edge at the time what they were trying to do. Yeah to kind of complete the film and they got, and they got kind of clever with some of the, the existing footage that they had and recycling it uh, and, and doing the best they could. And, and it is a complete film. So by no means was this something that has a patched together field. Cause it certainly wasn't. The film was mostly done. There really wasn't a lot left, but they, they decided to, uh, you know, to honor Brandon Lee's work and to complete the film. I think there I were think a few. That, yeah, I'm sorry. Andy, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, I think that uh, there's a couple of scenes that were pushed a little bit more artistic, uh, yeah. Like the scene where he's flashing when he first puts on the makeup, mm-hmm. that's somebody completely that. But I mean, it's, his face is always in shadow, and I think it brings the romantic. Uh, oh, like, absolutely, sure. Visual yeah. to it, so I mean, it, it's almost 
of course we don't want him to die, but like, you know, like it, it, it brought a creative, it lent you know, something to it. Yeah. yeah lent something to it. But yep. there's also, you know, there are only a couple of scenes left, but you know, he, he was actually, uh, we might talk about this later, but he uh, was, he signed for a three picture deal. And mm. originally in the story, he was supposed to not be able to go back to Shelley because he helped, uh, the, there's this whole subplot that we'll talk about later about the skull cowboy. And there was these rules and stuff and he wasn't supposed to help the living. Yeah. And he helped every time he helped the living, he got weaker and weaker. And by the end, he was supposed to not be able to go back to Shelley. He was supposed to roam the earth for two more movies. So uh, him not being able to finish the movie actually put a cap on the story, which I think is so much better. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's no there's doubt. a lot of serendipitous good things that are happening in in, in the tragedy. It's funny. Yeah, how... it, it's absolutely, a tr you know, like it is, it's one of the most tragic films, again, because of, you know, and, and Andy's going to walk us through the, the graphic novel as well. And I think that's the important thing is that this also this whole story comes from that. Um, so why, why don't we start there and we start with this this now this graphic novel by James O'Barr. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, I I was a ridiculous fan, which is. I went a little overboard in high school with this movie and this story. And uh, as Eric's lovely wife, Kelly, can uh, attest to this, how much of a pain in the ass I was about this movie in high school, because I was the crow all the time. Like I was the crow for Halloween, like four years in a row. I used to draw them all. <laughs> I listened to the soundtrack on a loop. I was just a huge fan of the comic book before it came out. And my wife and I were our high school sweethearts. And, and the movie came out about eight or nine months after we started dating. So the, the tragic, angle of losing your one true love was so upsetting and scary. And, you know, because, you know, when you're in high school, everything's so important and potentially Magnif and magnified. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Potentially autobiographical <laughs> when you're a teenager, but, um, the, and but, this and is the nineties. Yeah. And this is the nineties. <laughs> so we're, yeah. The, the vengeance angle, like as, uh, as a vehicle to say, yeah, just injustice can happen, but it can always be corrected with bloody violence, you know, is yeah. always good for a teenager too. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, I, all these years later, I, I, it's it's kind of an immature story when you think about it. Like, uh, it feels like a young person who didn't know how to deal with grief mm -hmm. wrote it, and of course, that's what happened. You know, like uh, the the comic was written by James O'Barr uh, when his fiance was killed by a drunk driver, uh, and uh, the tragedy of Brandon Lee, of course, was engaged, and he was buried ten days before his wedding uh, was supposed to happen, and it's just so tragic and romantic you know not like in the intimacy type romantic i mean like tragically yeah. poetic sort of yeah. thing it's just like this this thing but i mean the book the comic book uh was from uh, caliber press originally and it was a, a comic book that was really underground really black and white uh really diy this guy j.o bar um i i've, I've met him a couple of times and he's very quiet very troubled kind of guy and he had a hell of a life too i mean he, the tragedy starts way before that he was uh, abandoned as a baby and uh, went from orphanage to foster home to foster home and, and wasn't adopted until he was seven. And he gets in, uh, adopted and meets this girl who turns his life completely around because he was very angry about life. You know, like some of the foster parents he had were not nice people and stuff. And he meets this girl who's just like the light of his life, who like was always the uh, the light to his dark and he's just uh, they, they, they dated and uh, for three years and they got engaged and she was killed by a drunk driver and he used this comic book as an outlet for his grief um, but he also was inspired by the story that uh, he read about a couple who was killed for a $30 engagement ring and he's just like man uh, 
the life of two people for for thirty dollars, you know. And so he's he's like inspired and he's tragic and it, it, everything's tragic and he's upset and he's so he's writing this book, and uh, the book itself is very poetic. Like it'll have a, a, a couple of chapters and then like violence and all this stuff is happening, and then there's just a poem on a page, mm-hmm. and then there's a whole page of just a chair. And then it's like it goes to you know a a, a, a lovely uh, a flashback of him and his wife, and then it'll go back to the bloody violence and stuff like that. It's like this—he he is so dealing with his grief through this, you know. And the biggest differences in the book and the movie are obviously how Eric and Shelley die, and uh, they die—they uh, go to a, an engagement party, and their car breaks down on the side of the road, and the the gang pulls over and pulls him out and shoots him in the back of the head execution style. And he, you know, falls on the ground and he's paralyzed, but he's not dead. So he just lays there on the side, uh, on his side and watches all of this horrific things happen to his wife who gets killed in front of him. But he, he lives for a little bit longer into the hospital, but you don't know who these people are. You don't, Eric's not a rock star. You don't know who Shelly is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no last names. He's, you know, there's, if anything, he might be a dancer. I don't know. Cause there's these odd, I- I think dance he, sequences. I think in the uh, com- in the commentary on the D- on the Blu-ray, I think Proyas had mentioned that he was a a handyman. I, you oh, know, so he had it. You know, it was just a regular guy. Yeah, the notion that he was just an everyman type character. So yeah, uh, the the, the yeah. fact that he turned him into a rock star lent itself that had everything to do with the music in the film. So. Yeah, so I, uh, I think so that was I, one of the cheesier aspects of the movie. Just you know, him carrying a guitar around. And definitely a stylistic choice of. I mean, this movie yeah. is very much of the '90s. I mean, yeah. it came out in '94, and uh, upon watching it again, it, it was. I, I remember when when everything happened when 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 you know Brandon Lee passed away, and this movie was being made. So. Uh, you know, we were right in the thick of it as, as moviegoers, as Eric and I, as big movie fans, and and kind of yeah. uh, waiting for this movie to come out. And 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 I had seen Rapid Fire before that, which was the film he had made before. So he was kind of up and coming. Um, so yeah, th- this kind of this would have been the big one. And and like you said, this was very ca- a cathartic process for James O'Barr, or at least an attempt at catharsis of of kind of yeah. exercising those demons that he had over the over the death of his wife and and putting literally ink to paper via drawings and via text mm-hmm. to kind of get this out. And the story is really kind of like a modern kind of Gothic, Gothic tale. I mean, it, for lack of yeah. a better term uh, in, in its, in its stylized, in its stylization as well on the page um, and, and what they translated into film. So, um, did, and so I'm guessing you said you were the, you, Andy, you said you were the crow like for every year. So you pretty much saw it when it came out then that was like for you, like right there. Oh, leading up to it, it was like anticipation. Like I had the catalog, like back before the internet, you had to like get catalogs to uh, this kitchen sink press had like rings and books and card games and stuff like that. But mm. yeah, I mean, I was, I was obsessed, but like the, um, just to wrap up the, the, the comic book, like he was based on uh, Peter Murphy from Bauhaus and the body of Iggy Pop. So he would, some of the frames of the comic book, he's just traced pictures of Iggy Pop, you know, just kind of that distorted skinny yeah. muscular kind of yeah. thing going on yeah is like music was like <laughs> huge it was huge and uh, for him to make the bo- uh, the book he was listening to a lot of uh joy division and you know iggy pop and all that stuff as well so it's like music is like ingrained in it there's even like song lyrics in the book he quotes songs in the in the book when he cu- cuts the poetry and stuff so hmm. but yeah, so t- 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 tailor made to be to be adapted into a film then i mean that was the thing yeah 
Um, ju- just a brief, brief synopsis of the film is, yeah, there, there's a, a couple, you know, uh, Eric Draven and his girlfriend, Shelly, and they live in a kind of a tenement apartment. And basically there, there's a, you know, a crime Lord that they're trying to kind of gentrify these areas or get people out or so they can continue their criminal enterprises. Uh, these two people get killed on, on devil's night, which is the night before Halloween. Uh, Shelly is brutalized by this gang of gang of thugs and, and Brandon Lee's characters pitched out the window uh, a year later on, on devil's night, he comes back. He's kind of resurrected uh, with the aid of his kind of spirit guide as it were, which is a crow uh, for the old, for the sole purpose of uh, like Andy said, is the sole purpose. His only, his only mission is to avenge uh, the death of, of him and, and his girlfriend, his fiance. It's the only way they can really find any type of peace. So, so it basically this happens over the course of one night where he is kind of going and working his way through the gang uh, on this mission and being guided and, and still trying to also figure out what happened to him and, and what, what he is. So um, a very compelling story, you know, how much uh, just, you know, like how, how different was the novel from the book? I mean, how much different from the novel from the book, how much different was the, was the graphic novel from the film? Well, uh, the heart is there. Brandon Lee actually was the biggest uh, advocate for bringing more of the novel into like on set. He'd bring the comic book and he'd be yeah. like, listen, this scene is good, but like there's this really cool thing he says in the comic and they were using the comic, the, 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 the scene with Gideon's pawn shop, it's almost storyboarded out of the comic book. It's like they even got, I mean, it's the guy's hat says Gideon in the same kind of lettering and stuff as the comic book. And it is so good. I mean, like it, it's, it's, it's almost shot for shot. It's mainly the whole Devil's Night thing and the uh, the apartment complex and that sort of stuff isn't really a thing. It's more grungy, just Detroit slum, you know, and these people mm-hmm. are like Eric and Shelly are nobody. And the most of the bad guys are nobody except for Top Dollar. But he's still like just a criminal. It's not like it's not ro- like uh, 90s uh, glorified, you know, ha- a having more- a... a a little more I mystical. Know. This uh, yeah. top, top dollar is a little more uh, mystical or or open to open to believing something that's mystical, yeah. but also a realist because uh, yeah. you know he's got Micah, which is his sister or his half sister, and she's kind of into the whole occult thing and the very very perverse things happen. Yeah, the, you know the stuff <laughs> that they do, but yeah. but yeah, so he top mm. top dollar is played by the great Michael Wincott, who's got you know the voice the voice that launched a thousand packs of Marlboro cigarettes. Yeah. He's, great. <laughs> He's got the deepest and, and gravelliest voice. So Taylor made, he, he was in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as Guy of Gisborne. Uh, he was in The Doors as Paul, Paul Rothschild. So he's got that. He, he's a character actor who's got a great gravelly voice and just a, yeah. a, a really great actor to uh, to, to kind of lead the, uh, the bad guys. Uh, and then among the bad guys as well, I think as far as actors goes, we, we need to make uh, mention of David Patrick Kelly. Who is yeah. Uh, yeah. who plays T Bird? Known for his role in the Warriors, and we know him as, as Sully from Commando, which was a and great. from Dreamscape <laughs> and as Dreamscape. well with, with Dennis yep. Quaid. And and yeah, uh, Sully. He's yeah. most most big. I guess biggest claim to fame is being dangled upside down by Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he said, you know, you said you were going to kill me last, and Arnold drops him and says, I lied. And Commando. He's got <laughs> his, a great voice too. Oh yeah, yeah, he does. Such a great actor, and he—he, he, I think, he's—you uh, know—having some some really uh, 
serious actors in this film helps ground it as well. Again, because there are some actors in this that, uh, absolutely that, that kind of, or, or maybe the characters are drawn a little bit too broadly. Like the character of skank is just a Mm -hmm. little too out there. Yeah. Um, And and I think the the characters that are a little bit more grounded, like, like T-Bird is grounded in reality and, and, uh, even, um, even fun boy is a little more grounded in reality. You know, just, he's yeah, just he's a heroin just a addict. Crack, I mean, heroin addict. <laughs> he's just like out there and, yeah. uh, but, you Something know, some, that, some oh. props that need to go to other actors such as Tony Todd, who plays, yeah. um, yeah, top dollars, like right hand man, his like his Lieutenant. Um, he's probably the only guy that, that is, he's got it all together. He's wearing the nice suits and the, and these other guys are just like wild and, you know, going off and doing their thing. And, but I've always admired Tony Todd. He's always been a, 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 a favorite of mine, especially in the nineties range where he did Candyman, He did the remake of night of the living dead. Um, I love him as uh, Worf's brother Kern on star Trek and, and deep space <laughs> nine. He played Klingon. He, he also played the, an adult Jake Cisco in a, in a really touching episode of DS nine, which I loved. Uh, so a, re- a really great actor I admired. And then, of he's, course, you he's have got a great Anna. voice, too. Yeah, yeah. he's got that yeah. that gravitas to his voice. And then you got the great uh, Anna Thompson, who plays um, her uh, the little girl's mother in this film. And she's Darla, Darla. And she she was also an Unforgiven. She yep. was the the reason that this ridiculous situation unfolds and Unforgiven. She was the the kind of prostitute that every you know, that this whole situation unfolds and it becomes you know absurd and uh, really brings out the worst in everyone um but you know in this in this particular case she's also uh, very every every bit as much of the victim as she was in that film uh because she's caught up in this world she's addicted to drugs she's not a very good mom and that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the film is when he comes in and, and, t- and takes care of uh of a fun boy Oh, and you know, fun boy, and she, they're shooting up, and then and he brings her into the into the bathroom, and he says to her, you know, the, the, he quotes that thing about you know um, the mother is you know whatever, and she's just, and I, I was I, I want to ask you, Annie, at that that particular moment when he grabs her arm, and there are you know you see the the the, the, the heroin like just kind of dripping out of her arm. Is he doing that to her? Is he like cleansing her at that moment, or is it just? No, I- I think it's just supposed to be gross. Is it when he says okay. mother is the name for God on the lips and hearts of all children? Um, yeah. He, uh, that whole scene specifically, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. They, um, something really important was supposed to happen in that scene. Like the, the, the most famous part of the crow that costume that you see is him with his arms taped up with electrician's tape and the tape around his, his uh, torso. section, yeah. yep, torso and stuff like that. And it, it just kind of appears halfway through the movie, but yep. the, it was a really important part of, uh, as we were saying, there was a, a scene cut. Uh, there was a kind of a spirit guide called the Skull Cowboy that kind of slowed the plot down, so they took him out. But he was explaining that, like, you are completely invulnerable as long as you are here to kick ass and chew bubblegum. Uh, but it's the second that you uh, help anybody living, you're going to start losing your power and you become mortal sort yeah. of thing. So he does little things here and there. And just by helping, by stopping to help um, Darla and, like, help her go be a mom he gets weak for a minute and uh he had just uh fun boy was out on the couch or no but fun boy was in the um the bathtub, the bathtub. Yeah, yeah he he was supposed to spring up behind him and start stabbing him and slashing him with a razor 
And then there was this fight scene that happened and like Brandon Lee or the crow was like cut up in his wrist and his midsection and all this stuff. And he was actually bleeding and not healing because he had started to help Darla. And it, okay. that started like the chain of events that started to make him mortal toward the end of the movie, but they cut that scene out. Um, yeah. So uh, another, just an important thing I wanted to say earlier about the character himself. I, I remember everybody's, thinking that he was supposed to look like Alice Cooper. Like, why has he got Alice Cooper makeup on? <laughs> and it is Alice Cooper's like kind of makeup or whatever. But I, and I remember, I remember thinking that too, but like in the comic book, um, he just puts the black on, he's dead. So he doesn't have to paint his face white. It's just black makeup, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but he has, uh, it's also in the movie, but it's very uh, prominent in the comic book. There's a scene where the, one of the happier flashbacks, they're painting their brand new apartment because they're moving in together. And it's just like one of those, goofy moments where he spills paint and I love you and they're hugging and you see these three mime masks um, kind of like the theater mask but they're more mime masks the happy sad something else mask or whatever there's three of them on the wall and there's a shot where um, you kind of see one by itself and then in the, in the movie when he goes back to the apartment and he puts the makeup on or whatever one of the, the mime masks that are also in a previous flashback in the movie they're the same exact masks are on his bedroom wall uh, when he was alive but only one mask remain on the, on the mirror when he's putting the makeup on. So it's basically like him remembering something uh, important to him or something beautiful to him. And that's why he paints himself. He remembers the masks because it was a yeah. part of a happy moment. Yeah, they, they call to that in, in the movie because there's that, that Harlequin or mime mask on, on the mirror. And then that's when he starts kind of going through the, the drawers of the dresser and gets the makeup out and, mm-hmm. uh, and then kind of, and then kind of, you know, gets that iconic look uh going on his face um what doesn't doesn't make sense though is like in the sequels they they keep (laughs) doing it and it's like unless all of them had a mind mask it doesn't make any sense like in the comic book there's some comic books that have it but there was one one comic book was really cool this woman named iris shawl she was one of the crows there's like a there's a lot of the crows uh spinoffs in the comic books uh she comes back and she's like she's got like a crow on her nose like nose and eyes almost like kiss makeup it's really cool yeah yeah the mime thing on other people just doesn't make any sense at all. You know, yeah, I mean, we, we're, for, for the purposes of this episode, we will not a- address or acknowledge the sequels, any of the sequels. We, because we, I, we, I saw the crow two in heavy anticipation when it came out and I'm like, Oh boy. Yeah. That was a mistake. Was they, I, you know, I didn't even yeah, bother. They <laughs> yeah. They should have let it go. So um, <laughs> let, let's talk about the film. I mean, just quickly, Alex Proyas, you know, is not a big, this was a big film for him and he kind of, kind of caught lightning in a bottle he followed up with a movie called dark city which was very uh gothic also and kind of dark and really weird and sci-fi and then kind of has only made a handful of films and and the most recent one was gods of egypt so not a not a prolific director and he really kind of didn't really have a lot of hits after this it was just kind of some you know kind of some some films and you know, he did iRobot, which was like, all right, you know, uh, but that yeah, was, kinda, that was it. Just a handful of films. Not, not a whole lot. The, a lot of music videos before, uh, before he became a feature film director. Watching it again and prep for this, that was just kind of like, wow, I, I can't believe how amazingly beautiful this movie is. And just, I, I was, I was actually captivated by it, you know, from beginning to end. And, and of course the great Brandon Lee, you just can't take your eyes off the guy. I mean, he just yeah. makes every frame. He brings this movie alive. The physicality of, of his performances is, is bar none. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine. And it's not like he came to this with a lot of fancy martial arts and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, Kung Fu, 
you know, every scene, it's like, it's, it's, it's not even, doesn't feel choreographed. It feels like it's just a lot of running and jumping and a lot of just doing what he has to do to get the, to kind of get the job done. And, uh, it, it absolutely works as the chaos in the film and the, and it just, but it's a controlled chaos that works really, really well. I feel it's even more tragic to me how good he was because there's yeah. no question he would have been the biggest thing after this movie or, or on his way mm -hmm. at least. I mean, he was, he was a great actor. He enveloped into the character. He was the character. Like it's, it's inseparable to me. He would have yeah, been a great he, filmmaker too, because he was really in, apparently very interested in directing. He was already, you know, choreographing all the fights, and you know, you know, really. I mean, there were several fight scenes in the film that didn't make it to the film that he had, you know, planned out and conceived, and never got there. Maybe tested a few out with 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 Proyas, and they just didn't like the way it came out. So you pretty much got what you got. But man, what you got was was perfect yeah. you know yeah he was very Just, invested you know, invest, so. invested in in the role and invested in the in the process as well which was kind of important and that was you spoke about about the you know he wasn't doing kung fu i mean you've got you've got his father casts a really big shadow so as soon as you say oh bruce lee's son you're immediately going to think that and rap and the previous film rapid fire kind of kind of was a little bit more in, in that vein but um, I think one of the specific things I read about this as Brandon Lee is that he didn't want the crow or Eric Draven to have a specific style because he wasn't trained. He was a guy that got resurrected yeah. and is kind of figuring out the, his powers as he goes. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't like this superhero beforehand that's now resurrected and use like Arnold, you know, just kind of using his, his commando skills or anybody else. Right. He's just a guy that has these, the, these powers and he's got a specific mission that he needs to carry out. And, and that's all there is to it. You know, it's kind of that that's the simple part of this of this story. It's, it's quite simple of, you know, a, a kind of a man on a mission. And, 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 you, see, and you mentioned the rain soaked streets. Uh, you know, this owes I think this owes a lot to in, in one of our previous episodes or top three. We talked a lot about Edgar Allan Poe and the yeah. gothic films of like the 60s. I think there, there, there's a through line from those to the look of this film. It, it's definitely the, got the modern Gothic look mm -hmm. with just the, the, the sets, you know, of course you add rain. If, if something, if it's raining constantly, that automatically sets like a tone, right? It, it's got kind of the seven, the seven feel to it, which is like yeah, everyone, like, everyone kind of owes a little nod or heavy, or, heavy sense know. of noir. That, yeah. That sort yeah. Of, it's got you know, that, 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 yeah. ov that overhanging just, feeling of of heaviness and this is just a depressed area and it's a depressing life that these people lead because it's just always like just n nothing good ever happens so um, I, I think setting the stage like that kind of kind of sets the tone and it kind of puts you squarely in this universe of of these people that are just it's just you know there doesn't seem to be any hope or nothing to hope for yeah yeah and th there's a fairy tale aspect to it that gets really kind of warped while you're flying over with the crow, you know, the, 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 the crow view, uh, bird's eye view <laughs> of, of Detroit. Crow yeah. vision. I never realized this when I saw it in the theater or VHS until I just saw it on in HD. The entire city is a miniature. Yeah. Like there, there's like one street and then everything else is a miniature. And there's even, there's even a car chase with miniature cars. If yeah. like there's one shot where I actually like, whoa, are you kidding? I can't believe I noticed. Is that the overhead, the overhead shot? The, well, there's one it's a side shot that's two matchbox cars going by. <laughs> no, most, no, he probably said this in the commentary. He said most of the shots were miniature because they just didn't simply have the budget 
for a big car chase. A, B, being that there wasn't enough room on the set. So they used a lot of miniatures. So yeah, there were quite a bit of miniatures uh, were used for this film. And and, and it has an I interesting look. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has, there's especially when you see- where, yeah, Sorry, Eric. Uh, there's, there's the shots of, of Brandon Lee, like jumping off the rooftops from rooftop to rooftop. It kind of has that sort of cut and paste look to it. Yeah. You can tell it's a miniature in the background, but such a cool effect of him just sort of this real figure sort of jumping around on this mini. It almost looks like he's really jumping on a miniature set. And it's, yeah. it has a really, I, mean, I guess because this, uh, the lighting is so dark and the rain and, 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 you know, all, it, so it, it kind of masks the unreality of it, but it just, it, it just looks so freaking cool. And I, I was like, wow, this is, this is something that, that feels that doesn't look necessarily look real, but it, it's still very visceral and very like, you know, you feel like you can reach out and grab it as opposed to a lot of the films today, which I'm not downing at all, but it's just, you know, it's, it's nice to return to this kind of thing where, you know, they had to use this kind of stuff. You know, the filmmaking of the time was just, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the, the difference or the contrast is look at the, the look at the look of Batman returns, right. Which went for the same mm. feel, but Batman returns looks like a soundstage. Every single shot looks like yeah. it looks like a set. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Whereas yeah, in the crow, it, like it, it, ta- it almost it took me out of the film. I'm like, this is a set. It looks too, even though it's gray and and supposedly dingy, it looked too clean and and too sharp. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is you could tell it's a soundstage. Whereas in the crow, yeah, it looks like a lived in, yeah, grungy, dirty place. And 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 you get a sense for the for the scope of it. Whereas in like Batman Returns, you just saw like kind of these scenes, and they, they nothing felt like it was connected. So by by having those those miniatures and having that that opening shot where the the fires are burning and you see like the 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 kind of like the the flyover shot of the city, it kind of gives you a feel for the scope, even if it's a miniature. You know, it's like they did a great job with it, and that was the whole point is to kind of really set the the feeling for this movie, and they they really achieved that through the the lack of lighting, through the the use of the of the rain. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of creates its own little world and its own little universe of how this area is. And it's just not um, just not a, a nice place to be. It's just kind of depressing, foreboding. And, yeah. you know, the, it, it, the the cinematography and the sets just kind of state that for you. you if, if no one ever if this was a silent film, you would still get that feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 came out. Uh, Rennie Harlan directed it. And all the the. Uh, reviews were talking about how this is Nightmare on Elm Street for the MTV generation. It's because he was a video music video director before that movie and stuff. And it was very MTV like. And like, I keep thinking about that with this movie, like this movie is that on crack. Like it is straight up MTV. It's like MTV noir sort of thing, you know, like mm-hmm. even like the, especially like the club trash, you know, where, my life with Throco cults playing and like there's people, you know, goth people dancing and then there's a guy conveniently, you know, like using power tools above the stage. So sparks <laughs> keep falling everywhere, you know, uh, it, but I mean, it's just, it's so goth MTV noir feel to it. And it just, it, again, the music, like the music there, not only the music from the soundtrack, but uh, Gray Marvel's, uh Yeah. The uh, incidental score absolutely yeah. ha- has a part of it. It, it, it figures yeah. heavily into it. Yeah. I used it, to it, listen to that. He did. I think he did the Last Temptation of Christ soundtrack as well. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I used to listen to that and the Crow soundtrack when I drew. It's very 
it, it's almost uh, Native American in some uh, parts of it. You know, it's very, well, I guess so it makes yeah. sense with the- Yeah, and, and that might've been a, a, a choice of necessity because in the first part of the, the first section of the film, you really is, is the stuff with, with the doubles and the replacements for Brandon Lee and they were using whatever footage they had. So there wasn't a lot of dialogue or talking and they had to rework some of those scenes. So they were very- music heavy meaning the music was kind of in the background driving what was going on until they got to the point where they had the footage of brandon lee as as the crow but that Mm -hmm. whole that whole beginning scene when he's resurrected and and finding his way back to the apartment there's there's no speaking whatsoever and it's it's just it's just soundtrack driven you know up until when he becomes the crow and they and the lightning flashes and you see his face you know the replacement um so yeah the 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 soundtrack you you're right it's kind of got that you forget about the MTV generation and the effect it also had on filmmaking. And, and yeah, this yeah. has that, that feel you're, you're totally right. And then of course, when they're in the club, it's, you know, and Alex Preuss came from music video. So he's, he brings that, that sensibility to it. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of video, video, music video director's eye to it with, with quick cuts and, and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, it's but also he, the he, editing, the editing in yeah. this film is, yeah. is phenomenal. It's just so yeah. good. So well done. So, you know, just close ups to, wide shots. I mean, it just so fast, so quickly how it like, it goes from one thing to another and it just, it flows even with the music, putting the music in there. And it, it feels the music doesn't exactly like, it doesn't jump out at you like a song playing over, you know, it doesn't overwhelm me. It's, it's part of the soundscape of the film. It's like in the background, it's blended in. And, yeah. and sometimes you can't even tell when, when one song ends and the other one begins, it almost feels like one, one long song in a sense, in, in certain scenes, because it's just like, you know, because it just keeps, you're so captivated by everything else that you just, this this music is just under, underlining everything that's going on. It's it's so well done. So For me, so the, well done. the soundtrack came out a couple months before the movie, and I was like obsessively going over the soundtrack and stuff like that. So I was, I was conscious of like, I was thinking, where are they going to use this? Where are they going to use this or whatever? And I think that yeah. like the, the, uh, the Cure song, uh, Burn, uh, specifically was written for the, for the movie, uh, James Obar was listening to a bunch of guys like Joy Division and stuff, and and he did a song called Dead. Or Joy Division did a song called Dead Souls that they asked uh, that he quotes in the book, and then they asked Nine Inch Nails to to do the, the uh, remake for this for the soundtrack. But the song "Burn" from the uh, the Cure. I wasn't a Cure fan before this uh, soundtrack came out. Uh, it is perfect. It is the yeah, perfect soundtrack to this to, to the to this the story. Uh, so much so that he quotes the book in the lyrics. The very first. Uh, lyric in the song is don't look don't look and mm. all throughout the book okay so when in the book when um eric gets shot he gets plucked down on the ground and he's paralyzed but he's watching his wife being brutalized and the crow jumps in front of him and his wife like in between and he keeps saying don't look eric don't don't look because it's it's only going to make it worse yeah and he keep but he keeps looking and he's like why are you doing this to yourself and then there's scenes in the book Later on, when he's back and he's uh, in the middle of ven- uh, vengeance, and he'd take a break and go back to the house or the yeah. apartment where they were, what, uh, he's just sitting there, literally cutting himself in uh, in torment because he misses her so much, and he keeps flashing back, and the crow is saying to him like, "Why are you doing this to yourself? Like, you could go in this right now. You could go kill them all and be done with this, but you're sitting here torturing yourself, remembering all of this stuff, you know." So the song "Burn." Uh, don't look, don't look, the shadows breathe, whispering me away from you. Don't wake at night to watch her sleep because you know you will always lose. There's scenes in the in the book where he's just, it's just 
there's no words. It's just him watching her sleep, like in bed, them laying next to each other, flashbacks and stuff. That song is just chef's kiss. I love that song so much for that movie. <laughs> for that movie. But so didn't, you, uh, you, didn't he you, quote you just, Cure just, songs in the book too? I mean, like, didn't they kind of return the favor, I guess, yeah. by making, by writing the song yeah. for yeah. the film? That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. This. Yeah, I mean, it's the the soundtrack is a who's who of kind of grunge and alt rock uh, of the time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and it and it very much informs the feel uh, of the of the film because they 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 really use that as a centerpiece. At you know the like I said at the club, uh, they've got the bands playing and the music is playing there, so it's in it's in the. Uh, it's in the universe and it's in the film, but then it's also used in the soundtrack as well, which is pretty neat. So wait, so let me, let me let's jump back a little bit because you said it when the crow was talking to Eric in the graphic novel, like, why don't you go kill these guys? Let's talk about that in the film. Let's talk about the guys that get killed in this film because yeah, it, it's, it's pretty, you know, like that. that's the whole, that's the whole thing that this, this movie kind of uh, is balanced on is, is, is him finding these guys exacting his vengeance vengeance so he can finally rest as well and, and kind of complete this mission. And the first person he met, he meets from this gang because this gang is, uh, is four guys. Basically there's Tintin, fun boy, skank and T-bird and T-bird is the leader of the, of this gang. And these guys are a bunch of misfits. I mean, I don't know how they're, <laughs> their, their big thing is, you know, burning up arcades and blowing up, you know, arcades and whatnot. So it's kind of, uh, kind of, kind of funny. They're, they're really low level, but they're the ones that, that, that really kill Eric and Shelly. Uh, so Eric, uh, as the crow first encounters Tintin, uh, and I love the crow vision cause the crow is kind of like the seeker and, and yeah. the guide and, and, and he sees things through the crow's eyes of, of where people are, what's going on, and then kind of is able to react to it. So the crow actually is, is as important to this story, the actual crow, it's kind uh, of like the Beastmaster, right? <laughs> Remember that yeah. movie with uh, Eric Singer? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, and, and, it's kind and of like, yeah, I love that. The, the, you know, the crow vision is is really what, and, and I love the sequences of the crow flying too. I just love how they did yeah. that. It's just uh, just some really great cinematography. But uh, Eric Draven first encounters uh, Tintin, and his specialty is knives, and he's a knife, uh, mm. a knife thrower, and kind of uh, I guess along the lines of Hawkeye and uh, and. Uh, you know, doesn't miss kind of, yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. It's, it's a really great scene. It, it's got a lot of rage in it, you know, cause, cause you really, cause the thing with, with, with Eric Draven also is whenever he touches anybody associated with this, he gets, he gets memories, he gets flashbacks, he gets emotions. Uh, he, he, he relives some of these things. So when, when he comes in contact with these thugs, he's, he's also reliving their, yeah. at their point of view on these things. So, and which is somewhat uncomfortable, but Tintin tries chucking his knives and uh, it's not going to work on, on the crow. And it got one of the great lines before, before Tintin meets his end. It's one of the, one of my favorite lines. Yeah. Is victims. Aren't we all? We all. And it's, and, such uh, a, it's so, it's so, it's such a great scene too. Cause this is the, this is his first kill. Kill. <laughs> and, and he doesn't really know how to use his powers yet. It's, it's important to realize that with each kill, he becomes more and more comfortable in the role of what he's doing and, 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 and the madness is setting in and he's just, and he's actually enjoying it. You know, like you can t- definitely tell by the, by, by the second or third kill that he's like, just, he's got it all together and he knows exactly what he needs to do here. It's just a little, but seeing the pleasure on his face and, and, and just uh, every emotion you feel the pain, you feel him 
when he's laughing, that eerie laugh when he kind of throws himself off the building and he lands in the trash and he's just like, he starts, you know, like laughing maniacally. And, and then that scene where he just comes into frame when, you know, when it's kind of the fire and the, you know, it's so, Oh my God, it's just so cool. Like it's just, you feel every moment of, of his performance and, and he doesn't even need to say anything. It's just the way he stands, yeah, it's, the way it's, the, it's a combination of the visuals and, and yeah. Uh, his first and, and, kill is yeah he's he's sad like he's saying murder yeah. like he's yeah yeah he's yeah. calling he's calling him a murderer whereas mm-hmm. later on in the movie he's just offing people he just said you know like he's he's yeah, coming to point, terms with yeah. it well yeah when he goes to see fun boy that one's almost comedic because yeah he gets shot and you know he's like tell me you know tell me if you heard this one before and he's telling him the joke about you know jesus walks <laughs> into a bar and and yeah he, he he's He's carrying the guitar around the second time and kind of, you know, popping in and out of window, you know, in and out of window. So, yeah, he's kind of like Eric said, is kind of coming into his own with with what's going on. And, and I guess kind of accepting it because there is that that over, you know, that underlying underpinning of what happened. And, there, and Ernie Hudson's character, Albrecht, which we didn't really talk about, mm-hmm. was the cop that was on the beat the night they got killed and. He stayed with Shelly and he's got memories as well yeah. that, that Eric, you know, that the crow accesses when they meet uh, and, and finally convinces him that this is happening, that, you know, are you a ghost? Are you not a ghost? Um, so when he meets fun boy, yeah, he's kind of more in the mode of, okay, yeah, this is what I need to be doing. I, I I'm going to get to these guys and, and I've got these powers. So I'm, I'm a little less worried about something happening. I can get shot a couple times and, and be good with it. And that one, you know, it's kind of uh, each, each, character meets their end based on like what their what their character's thing is so Tintin was knives so he got killed by knives fun boy is basically a heroin addict so he got like a chest a chest <laughs> all, full of all the heroin yeah full yep. of hypodermic needles yep. um it was funny when and and when t-bird goes to see top dollar who's michael wincott uh to explain what happened to you know uh t-bird got himself perished yeah, you know, it was like it was like someone stuck knives in in all of his uh, organs in alphabetical order. You know, it's just like so like matter of fact, he's like the most realistic and grounded character. And, and I, he I, and know. he got and he I, I, he got killed way too fast, in my opinion. I I, I could have I would have loved to have seen him to, up to save the him end. to the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you that's know. why they t- and that's the thing. Normally, you say, oh, okay, we'll we'll you know get like the lowest level guys, and and he's like the he would be the top leader of the gang. So I, I kind of I thought it was interesting that they turned it on his head because yeah, he was the third one to go, and I think his scene was the most like the most powerful. I mean, David Patrick Kelly. I mean, his his death scene after the car chase, and he's and he's yeah. in the car. You know, and it was like a realization, like, like, you know, you kept saying, like, this is the really real world. This is the really like this kind of stuff doesn't happen, you know, as as depraved and as of a horrible person as I am and how evil I am. This, this doesn't, doesn't happen. happen. Like, That's th- right. you're, you know, and he's, he's scared. Like, speak to me. Speak to me. Like, talk what to you, me. Like, you what know, do you want? Yeah. And, like and, such and, a and, such a great performance because it was kind of like afraid and then kind of accepting yeah you know and and knew that he was just a, a really horrible person and uh t-bird liked to play with explosives and make things go boom and uh you know he got, he got <laughs> launched launched off the dock and and uh his his trunk full of explosives uh kind of sent him off and gave him some fireworks but you know all the, these characters just so each one of them kind of meets their meets their end at, at the hands of the crow. And it's kind of, and, and, you know, skank was kind of like, is like the, the last one that, that scene is the only scene I think I have a problem with in this whole entire film at the end when 
Skank is is hiding with top dollar, so so you know they're going to kind of lure lure the you know Eric in to to do it. It becomes like a gun fest. Yeah, you know, like, I, I, that, that kind of seemed out of place with everything else that happened but it, before. But, but I don't think it meant to happen that way because he, if you recall, he just comes. He just wants Skank. Yeah, he does. He's not after top dollar. He's like, I want him, and I'm done. You know, yeah. like that's the thing. It's like, and then it turns into this John Woo. Yeah, uh, style, I, I think from like, a, from know, a director, like a, <laughs> you know, I know. mean, from like a, a story and a director standpoint, I think just when they went over the top with the guns, I'm like, kind of like, it, it seemed out of place for everything else that was happening. Like, I don't know. Kinda, I mean, I, I, you know. I mean, it's, it's. I think it would, it would, top dollar would enforce that kind of thing. He's like, you can't have them. You got to get through me, yeah. kind of thing. You know, so who are you, kind of thing. You know, so you know, I, I didn't have a problem with it. How about There's, you, Andy? What, yeah. What's your? Oh, I, it's one of my. Okay, there's two or three shots in the movie that gives me goosebumps, and one of them is a two-second shot at the beginning of that scene. They're mm. doing their thing or whatever, and this happens and this happens, and, it, and then it just cuts to him, and he's like, gentlemen. Yeah. And he's yeah. walking. To, it just that shot, I remember getting goosebumps in the theater like, oh, snap. It's about to go down. You know, <laughs> Kind of like, when the jo- kinda like in, in Batman uh, in the Dark Knight when, when the Joker makes his entrance, right? Kind of the same thing. Kind of. Yeah kind of comes into a room full of bad guys and he kind of like, okay, you know, here's, yeah. here it is. He's on mm-hmm. yeah. that scene. And the, uh, him pushing the church doors open is just, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a frame of art, you know, but, uh, there's a couple of, th- uh, to, just to go back to Ernie Hudson really quick. He, um, uh, he's Lieutenant Albrecht who, uh, J of R, um, named him after Albrecht Durer, which is a pen and ink artist. That was his favorite artist, like old school, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But he um, improvised the scene where um, they're in the apartment and he's got, you still, you still have your hat on. Like yeah. most of that scene is completely improvised between the two. And like when he's, when, the, when he says, I'm really sorry, when he's walking out, I'm really sorry about you and your, your fiance. And he's like, yeah. And then he, then he leaves, you know, it's like, that could have been, he could have chewed up the scenery and said something else, but it was just yeah. like, Yeah. Like it would, both of them showed restraint in their improvisational skills yeah. in that scene in such a good way. He brings uh, such and, a, a a great humanity to the film by just by casting Ernie Hudson because he, he brings that sort of like he's like the the every, the every man, man. He's the, yeah, yeah he's the yeah. good guy he's you know he was there he you know but he's got to put up with this shit right he's got to you know deal with this crap every single day. And uh, yeah, that, that was a really great choice of casting right there, I think. Yeah, because he's got a <clears> calm <throat> demeanor yeah. and n- not a believer, but not also surprised. Yeah, you know, like not also surprised. Yeah, he's by not surprised, that right? It's like kind of like, okay, you know. Right, he's like having a conversation with him. He's not, he's not like trying to debunk it. He's like, yeah, he's, he's like, like talking to a ghost. Are you you're a ghost? not real. You're not real. Yeah, he's not saying <laughs> that's what any he crack, of that. cracks open the beer, Brandon. And, he's and, like, yeah, have a beer. That's exactly <laughs> to Andy's point. It's so, it's the conversation is so, uh, so normal, so economical in a sense, yeah. too. It's like really pared down, almost high yeah. glue. In a sense, you know, it's like you know, just just very few words exchanged. But also, yeah, but also very matter of factly, not like oh, explain to me about how this happened. It's kind of like okay, the guy's the guy's not dead anymore, Uh, and then these, you know, he's talking about what happened to him. So it's very, yeah, Yeah. it's a very interesting take on it where he didn't freak out and get all crazy, and And he tells him what happened. He's like, you know, you ask, man. Hey, you ask, you know, like you know, I love that, you know. So yeah, this just him getting really memories like leads to my least favorite part of the movie. You, you mentioned yours earlier. I, I, I am head over heels for this movie. There's only one thing that always felt a little cheap to me. And that was that, um, 
with the right script, the, without with the right words and the right camera angles and the right budget, I think that they ran out of money at the very, very end. When uh, when he's on the roof with Top Dollar and he's like, 30 hours of pain, and then he's dead and the movie's over. And it's like, okay, it's like very quick. It's just like, yeah. bzz, falls down. And then, <laughs> you know, so it's like, I, I feel like they could have him touching and then like you see longer flashbacks and like the yeah. pain, the pain, the pain and see him get more and more razzled and like, yeah. And then something else happened, but it's so fast. And he just kind of tumbles and lands on a gargoyle. I, yeah, I slide, feel like, slides off the roof. And yeah, I feel like that they, they, they gave him a, it was kind of a cheap ending. Uh, and the rest was great. It's just that one shot. Like it just, the payoff could have been so dramatic. And um, I think that they kind of dropped the ball. I, well, they, they didn't have the budget to do it. I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was an interest that, you know, that part of the movie, the movie actually essentially ends after, you know, after Skank gets killed, Skank, you know, Skank finally does get killed when, when he's at top dollars lair, as it were. And, and kind of the technically the movie ends because he completed his mission. As far as he knew, he completed mm -hmm. his mission and was going back to, he was actually at his grave site. And, and he and says goodbye kind of, to Sarah. Going. Yeah. And there's also another character called Sarah, who's a young girl, and she was a friend of the couple, and, and she's kind of she kind of narrates the whole story as as it were as well. She gets kidnapped by by Top Dollar. They find out that she was an acquaintance, so he's got he gets called back in, and and that's where where Andy was talking about also the subplot of if he's helping people or doing something outside of his mission, he's vulnerable, and he yeah. and he's he's you know kind of can be hurt. And so that, and then of course, and then they had this whole thing where if you can get the crow or hurt the crow, he's hurt too. But I think it ties into the original subplot where if he's doing something outside of his mission, he's vulnerable. So he, he goes to save Sarah and he gets shot and he gets messed up and he's, and he's absolutely subject to getting hurt. And this um, is where that, that mysticism that we were talking about between, you know, uh, yeah. Michael Wincott's character and, and Bai Ling, um, she knows this. You know, somehow she just knows that if you if you get the bird, his powers will be, you know, whatever. So so there's this you get the sense that there's some kind of like a cult thing going on where she has some knowledge of what's happening. She's not surprised by it. You see the look on her face every time he shows up, especially, you know, she's got that sour look on her yeah, face. She's, she's not like, she's nonplussed. I mean, she's it's, not like it's impressed. almost like it's she's like, like, like she's <laughs> expecting this. Like she's like, yeah. you know. Um, kind of thing. So well, it's she's like making every, incense know. out of people's eyes and kind of making a little smoke <laughs> things, and she's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So yeah, they had a they have a little bit of a of an extreme lifestyle in in, in what they do. But but yeah, they're yeah. definitely on that edge, on that side of like the weird stuff. And right. But again, within their universe, it's it's weird. And then someone comes that's even stranger, and it kind of validates all that all that all that stuff that she believes as you know with. Yeah. Oh, she, she's almost like a, a, a seer or a prophet, like, oh, you know, do this. And he's after this. And if we get the crow, you could take his power. And she had like one of the feathers or something. Um, did you guys, something, the, did you guys get the sense, though, that did you did you catch that right away that he got weak anytime he or was that would did that needed to be pointed out to you at some point? I, I didn't get it until later on when I was okay. an adult. Yeah, I there there's an interesting subplot in the book on top of all of this, but the crow isn't a, a physical crow in the book. It's like a, it's in his mind. It's like a spirit guide sort of mm -hmm. thing or whatever. And the only other person to see the crow in the book uh, is top dollar because he had killed everybody. Like, I, like I said, at the beginning, it was on the side of the road in the middle of like a country road somewhere. He had killed all the rest of the guys, except for top dollar, top dollar gets in the car and drives off uh, to escape or whatever. But the crow 
manifest itself, like shows itself to top dollar and he freaks out and flips the car and it flips the car right where he, where it all began, the story mm -hmm. began. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. The only time he sees anybody sees the crow is the crow showing up to help him kill the last person. Yeah, yeah just, I, I wasn't aware of that as well until I think I read like the behind the scenes thing because it's not it's not really stated. Yeah, and like like Andy said, but but you do notice where where one scene, Eric is is in regular clothing, and then the next scene, his whole torso is wrapped up with electrical or duct tape, and he's got all this duct tape around him, and it's like, well, what what happened? Because yeah. that whole subplot was cut out about what happens if you help the living or people that are not associated with, with quote unquote, the mission. Yeah. Cause Prey has said in his comment, he said he, it could have been, it could have been done better. Like it, yeah. it, he doesn't, he doesn't know whether or not that came across to people. That, that's why I asked the question. It, um, it def I don't think it did. I don't, I don't think I, I was, yeah, you yeah. know, I think you, I, I, I wouldn't have realized it unless I, if I hadn't read it because they, they kind of address yeah. it at the end where, where he gets shot and Ernie Hudson's like, I thought you couldn't, couldn't get killed. And he's like, well, apparently not, or apparently things have changed. So, so even <laughs> his character didn't understand, uh, you know, it, in this cut of the movie, even yeah. the crow character did not understand what was happening to him. Whereas yeah. in, in the movie, they had that film subplot with the, with the cowboy saying, you know, stop that or stay on your mission or, you know, right. uh, don't, don't help people because it's going to, you know, it's detrimental. So um, I think what we're left with though, is still something that is just, uh, visually stunning. I mean, when I watched it again, it, it just really, I haven't seen it in so long and just the mm -hmm. whole, the, the visual of it, the visual feel is so nineties, but I, I don't think you could make this move. I, you know, they're, they're talking about remakes. They've talked about remakes. They're trying to, re, you know, supposedly Jason, Jason Momoa was recent, most recently attached and then he got unattached to it and they're trying to reboot it. And, and I think James O'Barr is actually going to be involved in it. And first he was, he didn't want to be, but now he does. Um, I'm not sure that this is a movie that needs to be remade. What, what are you going to say, you know, just because of the circumstances surrounding Brandon Lee? I mean, unfortunately, it, it, this mm -hmm. is it's those two. What happened on the film and, and the, the subject matter of the film, I think, are tied together forever now. You know, I, I don't and I, you, you can't pull them apart. And unf and I think that's why those other the sequels didn't do as much a because they were cheap knockoffs. And there was just no you know, it was just kind of more of a cash in. Yeah. I don't know you should that you should revisit this. What do you think? They brought in uh, well, Jay O'Barr was brought in like he wasn't going to do it, and he talked like they before Hollywood sat him down and said, "Here's what we're going to do, and you, you'll have to deal with it." And this time they said, "Sit down, tell us what you need." And he said, mm -hmm. "Well, if you're going to remake this movie, make my book, just make my book." And they said they promised that in like in writing, like in blood. If we reboot this movie, this newer version of the movie, we will do shot for shot like storyboards with the Skull Cowboy, with the weird horse, with uh, barbed wire and all this. And like he was saying that there were shots in the storyboards that do the same thing where it's like there's a beautiful scene cut to a chair, mm -hmm. then cut to something. Some <laughs> It was going to be like shot for shot. So he was on board because they said, well, we'll we promise be you faithful. We'll yeah, that yeah. would be a faithful a faithful rendition of of the uh, of the graphic novel. What do you what do you think, Eric? I, I don't know. I, I'm still on the fence. Even if they go back and redo it, I just think it's it's tied to such a tragic event. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what kind. It's a well, weird that, thing to say. Kind of makes the movie special. Well, that's for me. Way. It's 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 definitely Brandon's baby. It's it's his film. Yeah. It's it's his spirit is there. And, uh, yeah, to, to do any, any, any attempt to make it, whether it's good or bad, I mean, I remake it is, uh, is just, 
of course it's going to it's not going to be quite have the same well like like i said spirit to it it's not going to have the same kind of feeling it's it's just going it's it's only going to be very effects driven very oh we can we can make we can we can make these things happen cut to yeah. a chair we could do this we could do that but it's it, it's just not going to be it won't have the same the the physicality the visceral uh the absolute performance that Brandon brought to it I don't I don't care who 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 they get to play in this thing it it just won't be the same and I don't I don't want to sound luddite by saying that but it's just sure it just, uh, you know, th- there are certain things you just, you, you don't mess with, you know, like you, you want to get a sense that there are certain things that you, you know, just can leave alone. And I, I yeah. think that's the way it should be. Yeah. Right. It's very but, much a story. Uh, it's a very much a story of its time too. Like it is tied yeah. to the mid nineties. Like oh, it, sure. I can't, yeah. <laughs> it would have, it would have, if it would have made in 86, it would have been horrible. Yep. If it was made, <laughs> we've, well, we've seen what happens when it's made and every year after 94. So, yeah, if it, if it was made in the mid '80s, Charlie Sheen would have been in it instead, <laughs> and you would have gotten something totally different. Um, okay, so let, you know what? Let, as we wrap up, why don't we go around? Uh, you know, what was your one favorite scene? So, Eric, what what would, would you have a favorite scene that is just kind of like? I think I like, I I do like the the first kill. I love the the, the, the Tintin scene the best. Uh, you know, because he's just coming into this he's you know just you know that 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 pain that he feels mm-hmm. he's he's just so disoriented he doesn't know what's going on why am i here and then from going from that to his very first kill and then just kind of coming into it getting to you know the the confidence that he gets like as it as the fight's going on you can see you know tintin getting the upper hand in in in, in a sense and then but he but then he gets up and then he's like boom you know he's like unleashed yeah. kind of thing so i i think that's probably my favorite my favorite cool. scene that and probably the scene with darla where he tells her you know because that's the first moment of vulnerability and yeah the humanity that's coming out yeah. there so yeah but uh there Andy? it is it always gives me goosebumps the scene where he comes back to the apartment and the crow uh, the uh, sorry the cure song starts playing and he starts putting the makeup on and stuff mm-hmm. and smashes the mirror and like he's not even in the scene. Brandon Lee's not even in the scene, but like there's it's that entire uh, they do take two shots from uh, previous scenes or whatever, and yeah. like fracture it in, a, in the mirror of him crying, like weeping, and mm-hmm. that just it, it's got the spirit of the book. The spirit of the book is just pain and sorrow and remorse and mourning, and he's there. He's still there. He's confused. He doesn't know why he's there, but he's there, and it's just like and at that point he's realizing this is what I need to do. And he gets angry. It's like, goes from sadness to anger. Mm. And then the crescendo, the drums and the, the cure song, bam, you know, <laughs> it's so powerful. I love that. I love that scene so much. Wow. I'm, I'm going to go with uh, the whole Gideon's scene. Yeah. You know, I really like that because he, it, it kind of, first of all, you've got John Polito as Gideon, who, yeah. who we didn't really talk about really such a great character actor and, and you needed him. You needed a pro for, for Brandon Lee to act <laughs> off of. Um, yeah. and it, but it's such a good scene. It's, you know, it, it, uh, and up to, up to it, including when he meets Albrecht afterwards, because there's, there's also a, a kind of sadness about it. So in, in the first part of the scene, he goes to Gideon's pawn shop. He's looking for fun boy. And he's also looking for his engagement ring, you yeah. know? So it's kind of like, you know, he's got a lot of contempt for, for this guy as well, even though he's not part of the mission per se, 
you know, he, he's, he finds the box of rings. He's like, every one of these is a life that you helped ruin or take, you know, just the, the contempt for him there. And, and then after it blows up and, and Albrecht catches him, you know, then he's got kind of like a moment of reflection and despair. You know, you know these people are already dead. They, they just don't know it yet, you know, and it's just kind of, and then he, he recognizes Albrecht, you know, so it's just, a, you know, I think it was just a great, a great character developing scene also of just kind of getting him, getting the character kind of centered and, and not just a killing machine, but he was, he was also trying to find out what happened and he knew that he had a connection to these items. And he could, if he could find items that would help him kind of remember and recall. So I, I, mm. I kind of really dug that, that whole Gideon scene because it was very, it was, it was some action, but it was a lot of talk and, and just kind of scene building and character building. So I really yep. dug that. So cool. James yeah. Obar is in that scene. Uh, yeah, he's the looter. He's a looter. Yeah, yeah. he's a looter. <laughs> he's the looter that that Albrecht kind of turns around and goes after, and then Brandon yeah. Lee can can skedaddle and get out of there. The physicality <laughs> of Brandon Lee is at uh, in dis- on display in that scene and a couple of other scenes where he brings uh, some comedy. Like he he could have just walked in and shot him or whatever, but he jumps up, flips, and hangs upside down and hits him on the head with a baseball yeah, bat. A like, what you Hulk. <laughs> but there's also other parts when like he. Um, I, when everybody's got guns or whatever, and he kind of just like puts his hands up and dances yeah. off, the, off the shot, you know, and <laughs> sends uh, T Bird off in the car. He just kind of waves with two fingers. Yeah. Like, Gives him a bye bye. Yeah. Yeah. Kind, just, of, kind of almost not taking it serious, or, you know, like uh, almost like a not, not a sadistic delight, but maybe like, you know, kind of, yeah, this is, yeah, 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 that's what it is. He's just kind of like, yeah, this is happening and, and we're yeah. doing it. And, yeah, and then and then after the the T bird scene, he gets the the lighter fluid and you know draws his crow and lighter fluid on the ground and and lights it up. So uh, all all in all, yeah, this is such a great. Like I said, it's it's kind of melancholy, it's bittersweet, uh, it's sad, it's tragic, but it's also a great film from from mm-hmm. style from stylistic choices, set pieces to acting. You know, Brandon Lee. Yeah, unfortunately, he only made uh, like two other films before this. Did some TV stuff with. Uh, Kung Fu reboots. Um, so yeah, the, the life of what could have been and, and to capture this performance on celluloid um, is something special. And it's, de- it's definitely, it's certainly not a horror film. So we're doing Halloween, but this is certainly not a horror film. I, I don't know where it, it falls maybe into the gothics thing. It, I don't know that it's an action film either. I really don't know where this sits. It's not sci-fi. Revenge fantasy. Maybe. Revenge yeah. fantasy. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's it certainly is. It's it certainly isn't the horror thing, and it's certainly not the blood and gore and the guts. Um, but it is it is a special film that that we loved and and wanted to share and make sure you know if you haven't seen it, go check it out. If you have seen it, I haven't seen it in a long time. Revisit it because when I did, I'm like you know again, I always see some different things or pick up on on different mm-hmm. things that I liked, uh, and I found a couple of other things. And of course, great performances. You know. He's he's backed by like I said the cast of, of Ernie Hudson and John Polito and Michael Wincott. All these guys are pros in the '90s. These guys were everywhere back yeah. then. Not so much nowadays, but back then this was a, a movie tech, obviously built for the '90s. And like Andy said, uh, the soundtrack is of its time as well. Absolutely, right in the middle of '94, '93, the the whole grunge thing. This was tailor made for uh, for people of of that. It, it, like you said, it goes hand in hand. It, it, it definitely goes hand in hand with the MTV generation. It was proto matrix uh, almost, you know, but uh, the, most of the actors quit after this movie for at least a year. Like they didn't mm-hmm. want anything to do with Hollywood anymore. The, the woman who played her, uh, Brandon's fiance just quit acting altogether. And I think um, 
uh, which Michael after- Michael Massey also he's yeah. the one that unfortunately fired the yeah. prop gun. He, you know, he plays Fun Boy. Something very bird. Yeah, he 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 left acting for a while. Needed to get himself sorted out. He would return. He would do so a lot of side. He he passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but. Um, not an easy thing to live with, but he did end up coming back. He was in the game. David Fincher's the game with Michael, uh, with that's Michael right. Douglas. Yeah. He was in at the very end. He was like an ambulance guy. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, check, absolutely check this movie out. This is one for the ages. We love it. Uh, it was the crow, uh, Andy Cremines. Thank you for joining us for this episode. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> and, and if you want to thank Andy, go to Andrew Cremines art on Instagram. Give him a like, see what he's got going on. There's got a lot of great artwork. Check it out. Uh, and he's, he's very, yeah, he, he just does great work. And, and spooky empire is, is coming up. He just, he just sneak previewed some of the artwork for that, which was really neat. Uh, so absolutely check him out. It's a delight to have you as our, th- our a three Peter. Yeah. <laughs> third time, third I, time's I, a charm. Any, any time I'm happy to do it. I love the show. So I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Awesome. I think I'd like to go ahead and say, let's just go ahead and dedicate this episode to the memory of Brandon Lee. Let's just throw that out there. Cheers. It's just, it's Cheers. just not be, it Absolutely. wouldn't be the, the same film without him. So it, it is his, his movie all hundred percent. Well said, well yep. said. And, and, and on yep. that note, we, we are going to leave it there for the 3324 podcast. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on social media. Uh, on Instagram and Facebook at 3324 podcast on Twitter at 3324 P. So for the multi-talented Andrew Cremines, for Eric Cooper, multi-talented as well. I'm singular <laughs> talented Dean Legiro. We will catch you on the flip side. You've been listening to the 3324 podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important. So make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation. 